Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Second Corinthians chapter number five, if you were here last week, we began what I believe will be a series with the thought or idea of perspective, seeing life through a biblical worldview. And to your satisfaction, I didn't preach the whole sermon, and we had time for lunch. But today I want us to finish, so this is part two, with the idea of new life brings new perspective. I know you are not men and women of the world, but there have been quite a few things that happened in the world this week that if you paid attention last week, I had a couple people reach out to me and said, perspective. Um, Probably the news that's taken over, world news and sports news, was DeMar Hamlin having a cardiac arrest and basically dying on a football field, on Monday night football. And immediately, the word that came to my mind was perspective. I heard a top quarterback last night interviewed, and he said the word perspective twice in his 30-second interview. Isn't it amazing how in your life and in the life of others, one event can change your perspective. If I was to go around the room, and there's too many people here to do that, and was to ask, have you had anything happen in your life that changed your perspective on life? Without exception, people would be able to raise their hand or say, this happened, or this happened, or this happened. It's not all negative, not that you got bad news or you had a cardiac arrest or a cancer diagnosis, which those things change your life and change your perspective. It could be you became a mom or you became a dad, and lest we get too heavy and negative, did that not change your perspective on life? And as they grew up and got a mouth, It changed your perspective on how your mom and dad responded to you in your mouth. Now I know why. I got slapped so many times. But life is difficult. Life, Job, our encouraging prophet said, is a few days and full of trouble. And lest you you think you're an exception to that rule, he said, man or woman that is born of woman, which even in the 21st century is still biologically how that happens. If you got a mama, life is a few days and full of troubles. But I believe, and, and I'm, I'm preaching it, and one day I'm going to have to live it. I know. How we view the world and the challenges of this world matters. And as a believer, our perspective is different than the world. And so what brings a new perspective is new life. If you don't hear anything else, before you go off to sleep, when you got saved, when you were born again, you received new life. You received new eyes. You received a a transforming of your mind where we view life differently than the world. And when we find ourselves creeping back into that space of viewing the world the way the world views the world, that's when we know we need a little spiritual checkup. 
That's what is the distinguishable difference in a born-again Christian and a lost person is how we view life. So this is the beginning of a six-week, 12-week, who knows how many-week series where I want us to look at specific subjects of life. Some may be minor in your eyes, it may be major to another person, and how we as Christians are to view those subjects in life. But today, new life brings new perspective. If you want to stand as we read and honor God's word, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Once again, I'm going to read verses 16 through 21, picking up with the word wherefore, which you have to look in verses 1 through 15 to see what wherefore is there for. But um, for sake of time, we'll be in these verses. And today, really focusing on verses 18 through 21. Paul writing to this church says, wherefore, henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. After Paul was born again, after he was saved on the road to Damascus, he said, we now therefore know no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth, from now on, we know him no more. And if you weren't here last week, really quickly, Paul says, after I got saved, I started thinking differently. I used to know Jesus as a human, as a, as a lost man, but now I know him as a saved man. I used to see people like a lost man sees people, but now I see people as a saved man sees people. And we see people differently now as a Christian. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And all things are of God, verse 18, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ. And most of you probably didn't use to wit this week. Maybe you will next week. He's saying that is. Think about it this way. We're new creation, we've been reconciled to Jesus, to God by Jesus. That is, in other words, this is how it happens, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses on them, and has committed unto us this word or message of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made known the righteousness of God in him. Father, thank you for your word. Help us today to be sensitive to your word, to your spirit. Help us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath as we receive your word as absolute truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. As I said last week at the beginning of this sermon, I would consider one of the most difficult challenges in life as a believer is for us to be different and separated from the world. In 1 John chapter 2, John tells the believer in verses 15 through 17 to not love the world, neither the things of the world. After last week, and maybe as a believer being discipled, we understand as a church, as a believer, that this is not merely people in the world. This is the perspective and the systems of the world that God is talking about. He does not tell us to separate ourselves from everybody and only hang out with Christians. He doesn't tell us to quit your job and only work at a Christian job with Christian people. He doesn't tell us to only go to Christian school as great as that is. Matter of fact, I taught Christian school for five years and I did learn that everyone there is Christian. And all the parents are, all the teachers are, everyone's spiritually mature and you have zero discipline problems. Because everyone is a new creation in Christ. We're all on the same page. I think you picked up on the sarcasm there. We're not to love the world, the things of the world. And if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
Now that's not the message, but that's the pretext to the message, and that's pretty blunt. If you as a professing believer still crave and love the things of the world the way a lost person does, based on 1 John chapter two, the love of the Father is not in you. And if you don't understand that, it means you don't know him. First John is full of that. If you don't, then you don't. Or if you do, then you don't. And all that kind of fun stuff like, how can you say you love God whom you've never seen and you don't love your brother who you see every day? And if you say that and act that way, then you're not of the Father. Oh, that's time to stop and have a quick two-minute repentance session. You ever heard somebody talking? Let's, let's, let's not point at each other and let's not look. You ever talked or heard somebody and you're like, what? And you say you're a Christian? Well, that's too convicting. Let's take that off the record. Mark that from the record. James chapter four, James calls professing believers adulterers and adulteresses who say, they're friends of the world. He said, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or an enemy of God? Whoever is a friend of the world is a, the enemy of God. Once again, let's clarify. We're not saying that you were friendly to a lost person. You're of the world. That's not what he's saying. Matter of fact, what I believe God's word teaches is we should be friendly to everyone, including especially the world. And lest we forget, that means we should be nice to each other as believers in the church house too. We don't have that problem, so everybody's all right. We're talking about the world system. Jesus very clearly in his high priestly prayer makes it clear that his desire was for God not to take us out of the world, but to keep us and to protect us while we're here in the world. In his prayer, he acknowledges that God, they're not of the world, therefore the world will hate them. Maybe this is some news that will be an encouragement to you. If you're not of the world, the system of this world will hate you. They will despise you. I didn't say your neighbor in the cubicle next to you at work will despise you necessarily. But if you stand up for the word of God beside the world, don't be surprised when they hate you when they call you names, when they make fun of you, or whatever else may happen. It's understood. As Christians, it ought to be somewhat of a badge of honor to know that they're acknowledging that you're different than them. How is the, what is the best, what is the easiest, what is the most practical way to be different from the world as commanded by God? A changed life that results in a changed perspective. As believers, we have a different worldview. We do not view the world the way a lost person views the world. Last week, we talked about the realities of two doctrinal words, regeneration and reconciliation. We only got to regeneration, and Paul talks about this reality, and he says, because he was uh, uh, born again, he's been saved, he experienced regeneration. He has what we called uh, a regenerate perspective. He saw things differently. He saw people differently. But he was also in a regenerate position. And, and we are, as a believer, we're uh, a new creation. And, and if you didn't hear this last week, or if you weren't paying attention, or you took a nap during that time, or you're fresh and new, we're a new creation as a born-again Christian. Remember John, John, I mean, in John chapter three, Nicodemus, I love, I love, I think I could preach us, I could make up a series out of John chapter three and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and we all have our reasons why we think he came at night. He was scared, he's upset, uh, I don't know. I think that's when he got off of work. And he, so he goes there at night and um, he comes up to Jesus and um, he's like, nice to meet you, Jesus. I've been wanting to meet you. This is not King James, New King James. You know, I mean, this is just my verse. It's nice to meet you, Jesus. I've been hearing a lot about you. I think you're kind of, I just want to get to know you. Um, you must be of God because nobody can do the things you do unless you're of God. And Jesus, I always, I'd love to know what he looks like when all this is going on. That's just my mind, how it works. 
In the same way, I want to know how Jesus looks at people in the face when they're lying to him. I, I don't know. If I could master that, I would be more like Jesus. I know you're lying. I know you're shooting me a tail. See, I think if you look like, you're, like you really love him, I think that's kind of lying. So I don't think he did that. I just think he looked stone-faced at him. I don't know. So he shakes his hand, you're Jesus, you're God, you must be of God. And what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? Something that he had nothing to do with. You must be born again. And Nicodemus' response must be, what in the world did that have to do with anything I just said? And what we know is Jesus knew his need. Jesus knew what he needed to hear. You're great, you must be of God. Oh, so nice to meet you. Um, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, who's an a educated guy, pretty well-off guy, was, is kind of not clued in as to what that means. And he says, how can a man be born again? And it's in scripture, so either he was a dunce or he was just caught off guard. Can you enter back into your mother's womb and be born again? This is a grown man. Jesus actually refers to it as like, aren't you somebody special and you say something like that? He says, no, you must be born Ready? Of water and of the Spirit. You gotta be baptized. No, nah, I seeing if anybody's paying attention. No. You gotta be born of water, you gotta be born naturally, and you gotta be born spiritually. Why would he? Because you must be born again. And, and I, don't wanna, I don't wanna mess you up theologically and doctrinally, but, but God is not reviving your dead self in salvation. God has given you a new life a new perspective. Old things are decisively, I used this last week, passed away. What I know is wrong is now wrong. I know it's wrong, it's decisive, a decisive break. Old things have passed away, behold, all things are become new. King James says are become new, it's our becoming new. As we grow in grace and knowledge, we, we become newer, kinda. We're a new creation. We're not our old self, we don't think like we used to think. Yeah, we still got the old flesh. Yeah, we still got a little old mind up there. Says, well, what about this? Don't they deserve that? But the new creation says, no, they don't. I'm a new person. George Johns, showed my age and my taste in music, used to say, thanks to Calvary, I don't live there anymore. Not the man I used to be. I don't go there anymore, I don't say that anymore, I don't act like that anymore because there was a decisive break. Yeah, I still think that way sometimes. You wanna be spiritual and act like it doesn't? You can be that way and we'll know you're just a liar. Yeah, it creeps up on me, yeah, I'd like to really, mm, oh. but I can't because I'm born again. And you're like, physically you can, but spiritually you can't. You know better. As me and my wife have gotten closer through the years, you kind of have to when you live together, we express ourselves to one another. And I find myself often saying, this is how I know I'm saved. Because I didn't do that. I, I wanted to, I could have. But this is how I know that the Holy Spirit lives within, was inside me because he restricted me from going to jail or whatever else might have happened. We're new. We're not just revived, we're a new creation. We look at things differently. That's what regeneration is. Old things passing away, all becoming new. Now, in verses 18 and 19, we see not only the realities of regeneration, we see the revelations, what we understand about reconciliation. We've sung about reconciliation today. What does it mean to be reconciled? In verse 18 and 19, Paul says, I like this, it's, it's important. All things are of God. That's a pretty good statement, right? All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, or that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, 
not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What does reconciliation mean? To exchange. It was in the song a second ago. Uh, There's been messages preached. There's been books written about the great exchange. This word to reconcile means to exchange something. And in verses 18, very beginning of verse 18, all things are of God who has reconciled or exchanged us to himself by Jesus Christ. This is very important, and I don't want us to overlook the reality because I, I believe, I've said this so many times, I believe this is the hurdle oftentimes with the world misunderstanding why there's a need to be saved. All my life I grew up hearing what you've been hearing, you know, people think they're good enough to be saved. I, I kind of understand the logic there, but I don't think anybody really thinks they're good enough. I think anybody in their halfway right mind knows they're not good enough for anything. Like I know myself, and you know yourself, and I think deep down, I mean, God gave everyone a conscience, not the Holy Spirit, a conscience that's biblical. I think people know right and wrong. Even before they were saved, people know right and wrong. I don't think anybody ever thinks, well, I am good enough to get into God's heaven. Not if they understand who God is. Not if they have an inkling of understanding of holiness and righteousness. I don't think anybody thinks, well, I've been pretty good all my life. God ought to let me in. Now, there may be people fooling themselves, and I believe Scripture teaches that people will deceive themselves, deceive themselves. I think there's a lot more to it. But what's oftentimes the hurdle And a person becoming a Christian or understanding their need for salvation is them understanding their need for salvation. And that verse in verse 18 says, God reconciled us to himself. Uh, You don't have to be a, I'm not an English fan. I mean, I like the language, but I don't like to, to learn English and I hated the class and all that stuff. But you don't really have to be a fan of it to understand that if God needed to reconcile us that there was an issue. To reconcile, to bring us back, to exchange means that there was a problem. The problem was that we were at enmity with God. The problem was we were separated from God. And and I know I'm preaching to Baptists this morning, but I I think we need to be reminded, and I think the lost need to hear, that their need for salvation is not because they're a bad person. We're all bad, no, all of us. None righteous, no, not one. The reason a person needs to be saved is because of what makes them bad, which is their sin nature. The fact that we were born separated from God and in need of reconciliation. Most people don't understand that. And I, th- I think we need to make sure as, a, as believers, as Bible teachers that we teach Hey, you need to be saved, not because you're a mean old man, but because you're lost and you're separated from God. Like you were, you know, you find some old mean man that's just mean. Don't call them out, but you know who they are. You know, they're just mean. There's a few people in my life, and that's just, that's all you can say about them. They're just mean. Everything they do is mean. Find that guy, and you say, sometimes, like when you were three, you probably weren't this mean. Maybe by six, you were starting to show signs of being this mean old man. But at three or four, you weren't this mean. But you still were separated from God. Until you started manifesting, didn't become when you became needful of God. Same thing. Ten years old, hadn't robbed any banks. Maybe maybe you had plans to, but you hadn't yet. But you still needed to be saved. And I, can, and I know as a, as a former youth pastor, as a teacher, and as children's workers in here, we, we have to make sure that our children understand their need for salvation. And we're sharing with our friends and our family and our coworkers and our, our classmates. It's not so much, man, you need to get saved because you cuss like a sailor. I know some professing Christians that kind of cuss. No, no, that's not why you need to get saved. You need to get saved because you're lost and you're separated from God. If we start focusing on why people need to be saved because they're this, this, and this, then they're going to find out you do this too, and they're like, well, maybe you need to be saved. So let's not go there. Avoid that conversation. So there's a need for reconciliation. So what I want us to see in this is three real quick points. 
hopefully. The means of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, and the message of reconciliation. The means of reconciliation. How did this take place? And he tells us in verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling us. The first word is, that is God. The means of reconciliation, the means of this exchange was God. God started this project, if you will. God was the initiator in reconciliation. In verse number 18, he says, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. You may or may not care or think this is applicable. I trust that you believe it's applicable. But for us to understand and appreciate reconciliation, salvation, regeneration, new life in Christ, we've got to understand God took the initiative. Now I know I'm sharp enough and smart enough to know you make that statement. Although it happens to be in scripture a couple times there, people start getting a little nervous. I don't want you to get nervous. I want you to understand that your salvation, my salvation was initiated by a sovereign God who while you, while I was still a sinner, condemned and at war with God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. But God commended his love, but God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God took the initiative. The means of reconciliation is God. For by grace are you saved. You heard that one before? Not of yourselves, not of works. It is the gift of God. God was the initiator. God saw us while in our sins, while at war with him, at enmity with him. But he loved us in a way that not one of us could explain. Enough to send Jesus, the propitiation, the reconciler. He initiated our salvation our reconciliation. While I'm in the old Southern gospel singing mood, Squire Parsons wrote a song. Many of us old folks have heard him sing it. He came to me. He came to me. When I could not go to where Jesus was, he came to me. I say this somewhat comically sometimes, but I don't know anybody that went to church with an appointment to get saved. Now, I've heard some people say, you know, the Holy Spirit was in. I was going to church, I was going to get saved. They probably didn't know what they were talking about, so I don't even listen to them. I just, that's a good job. But none of us went to church saying, tonight's the night, going to get it. Matter of fact, if you've got your testimony, we might need to talk afterwards because you might have got something else. You might have got sold a, a fake voucher to heaven. But like many of you, We find ourselves in church. We find ourselves in a revival. We find ourselves at home. We find ourselves in an Awana class. We find ourselves at kids camp or youth camp or church service or royal ambassadors, RAs. Just there to hang out and ride bikes and drink cool moon. Those were the good days, weren't they? But he came to me. Didn't plan it, Holy Spirit convicted, something's going on, I realize I'm a sinner for the first time, and not just because I'm mean, but because I was born that way, and I need a savior. Didn't go planning, but he came to me. You remember when he came to you? You remember when he, when he shined the light of the need of salvation in your life, and you made him Lord, and you were reconciled God is the means of reconciliation. But then he goes on and says, there's a ministry of reconciliation. He has, in verse 18, given us, Paul says, the ministry of reconciliation. 
Verse 19, the second part, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. This is message of reconciliation. I just talked about regeneration and reconciliation briefly, but we understand it. And, and Paul says, this is our ministry. In the previous verses, Paul says, you know, I got saved. I used to live like this. Now I used to think like this. I got saved. Jesus is the Lord of my life now. And I'm a new creation. I have a new perspective. And this is my goal. I don't want to let him down. And my goal is to share the good news because God, after he saved me, gave me, he says, the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry to spread the message, the word of reconciliation. I, once again, I know we're a Southern Baptist Church, Great Commission Church. Matter of fact, it's an alternative name. We're called the Great Commission Baptist, if you want to choose to call it that. Really? Yeah, it is. So I understand that most of us understand that our job is to share the good news of the gospel, to reach the world with Christ, to train people, to reach and teach. But God tells Paul, and Paul tells the church, we are messengers of the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean to us? It means exactly what it probably sounds like it means. If you and I have experienced regeneration, y'all with me? We've experienced reconciliation, which we're gonna talk a little bit more about reconciliation in verse 21. And we know we have new life. We've been changed, we've been reborn, born again. Old things passed away, old things have become new, which is not just, well, I had to get rid, I can't, I can't smoke as much as I used to. Just laugh, wake up and laugh. Can't, I don't say that. That's not just things becoming new and old things pass away. What also passes away is the old direction you were headed. I was headed for an eternity separated from God in a place Jesus calls hell. But my new direction is a place called heaven, eternity spent with God. So it's not just, you know, the bad news. Well, I got to quit doing this. I got to quit playing this. I got to quit drinking. What? Well, coffee or whatever. We understand that as reconciled, regenerate, born again people. We understand the need for someone else to be saved. And we understand the gratification that comes with being given the message to tell somebody else. Y'all with me? I know it got, that's not fun because now I have to do something. But let me help us all out. That's part of the reason we're here. Now we're here today on Sunday morning to, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, to worship him, to, to be refueled and be encouraged and preached to and discipled and all that fun stuff. But the reason the church exists, one of the several reasons the church exists is to Y'all ready? Y'all still awake? It's, it's 20 till. I'm doing good, I promise. It's, it's to come together, to huddle up, and call the play, and then go execute. I know there's football today. We play off time. It's ready, right? What's, what's, what's the play called in the huddle? Hey, everybody. Um, on two, no, or whatever. Um, their, their play calls today are a lot different than they used to be. That's crazy, I don't even understand, but I'm not gonna do that. The play is this, Acts 1-8. The play is this, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. On two, ready, break. What's our job? To go into all the world. How are we gonna do it? Well, we're gonna do events here. We're gonna have ministries here. We're gonna send money to missionaries. We're gonna be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention and, and all that fun stuff. And, and we're gonna, we're gonna, give our money, we're gonna give our time, we're gonna give our talents, and we're gonna share the gospel, and we're gonna disciple people, and that's what he's called us to do, ready, break. Because he gave us the ministry of the message of reconciliation. And so what we do when we break the huddle, we go out into the plays, and we actually act on the play, and everywhere we go, and whatever we do, we share the message of reconciliation. We see the person that's in need. We see the person that looks like they're so far from God they would never be saved. 
because they're that mean old man or that grumpy old woman or that whatever. And we have good news of the gospel that, hey, guess what? It's probably, you don't have to say it this way, it's probably pretty obvious you need to be reconciled. You don't have to say it. But the good news is you can be. You can be. You don't know what I've done. Don't have to. You don't know how much sin I've committed. Don't have to know. It's not about the amount of sin. It's about sin itself. Y'all need to hear that again? We need to amen that. You hadn't sinned too much to be saved. You were born. You were born into sin. You need to be saved. The perfect attendance 16-year-old in Sunday school who's never cursed a word and never missed church or Sunday school and has all the pins and the bracelet we got with all the disciples on it. It's still in my office if you want to see it. He still needs to be saved. The devil and his friends would like to convince a person like that, you're good enough. What have you done to need to be saved? What have you done to need to be reconciled? In God's eyes, church, this is hard to comprehend. That person is just as lost as the man on death row for murdering. We understand that we were just that lost too. We start to understand regeneration. We start to understand reconciliation. And when we add to that, that we didn't do anything to deserve it, but God in his grace and his mercy and his love called us out to salvation and says, yeah, I know what a rotten old dirty man you are, but I want to save you, call you to salvation, give you a new life, give you a new start, give you a new direction. Then we get excited about sharing that message of reconciliation with other people that need to hear it. Church, we struggle with this, and I'm just up here on a Sunday morning being honest. We struggle with it because we still have flesh, where sometimes our flesh would just rather not tell somebody. And do you know what they've done? Do you know who they are? And I've just gotta, I've just gotta get in line with you and say, hey, that's the flesh and the devil talking, that's not God. Go to the altar and pray and then come back and start for the final point. He says, we're ambassadors for Christ. We understand we have the ministry of reconciliation, but in verse 20 he says, because of this, we're now ambassadors for Christ. Now, there's some things I could say here about our current government and the ambassadors, which is a joke and embarrassing quite honestly. And unfortunately, the world sometimes changes our thoughts and opinions about the English language. But lest you be mistaken, to be an ambassador is a high calling and a high honor in God's government. Everybody with me? Okay, Google later if you don't know what I'm talking about. Not right now. But it's an honor and a high calling of God to be considered ambassadors. An ambassador is someone, it's a representative of a king or royalty who's sharing a message. And he said, we are ambassadors for Christ. We have a message from the king. We have a message from God. We have a message from sovereignty to the world that you can have a new life. And I'm just gonna, in a 20 second timeout in my mind and if it helps you, when we're struggling with thoughts or feelings of anger, hatred, animosity, when we're struggling with that in the flesh, May God remind us through his Holy Spirit that we're his ambassadors. For that person to hear the message of reconciliation. Not the message of fill in the blank. Y'all looking at me like I'm the only person that ever struggles with this. I don't think I am, but just in case, I'll take the rap. 
May we be convicted, and, and we probably have been. It's like, oh, I really like to oh, give them the message of revenge instead of reconciliation. But may God remind us that we're ambassadors. We got a badge, we got a name tag. They ought to know who we are. When the ambassador shows up, even for Biden, people know who he, she, it, they are. Okay? And when we show up, church, the, the world ought to see that we're ambassadors for him. And it doesn't have to be a Christian t-shirt that looks like a Heinz ketchup bottle. They ought to know. And we come with a message. And here, here's where maybe you like this part better. We have a message of authority. Not our authority. But we have, we have a message that comes from good authority. It comes from the king himself. That if you'll confess your sins, if you'll acknowledge that you're lost and, born, and you need to be born again, if you'll acknowledge your sinful state, if you'll believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins, you confess him as Lord, he'll save you, he'll reconcile you, he'll give you a new life, and the old things will be passed away. That's our message to that person that we want to give a different message to. What is that message? I kind of started it right there, verse 21. Just in case anybody's confused as to what the message of reconciliation or regeneration is, verse 21 I think I probably quote this verse 65% of the Sundays when I preach in five years. Honestly, I think I do. I hope you don't get tired of hearing it. But this is the context of 2 Corinthians 5.21. We've got a, a message to tell. And here's the message. It's from God. The message is reconciliation. For he, God has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is a message for every ambassador of God, from God, the message of reconciliation, which is what? God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. The verses also say that Jesus was in God, God was in Christ, that he is God. Now here's our message. And I, 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 once again, I taught Christian school. I've been in the, in the Christian ministry for a while. I was in the youth ministry for a while. I've been in church ministry for a while. And this is always, well, I'm scared. I don't know what to say. Well, if you've been in church, that's a lie. You might be scared, but you know what to say. So wake up, and I'm going to tell you what to say. Right? <laughs> Here's what we say. God is perfect. God is holy. 2 Corinthians 5.21. You're not. All have sinned. None righteous. No, not one. You usually don't have to convince people that they're not perfect. I believe that. Yeah, you're right. I'm a, I'm a devil. Here's the message. God who knew no sin allowed Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us. Oh, what's that mean? What's sin? doing anything that God says not to do or not doing anything God says not to, to miss the mark. And we're all born into sin, Romans chapter eight. We're born separated from God. All of sin and falling short of God's glory, Romans chapter three, Romans chapter five, Romans chapter nine, Romans chapter 10, whole Romans road. What's so bad about sin? The wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, separated from God. You see the verse put up there, verse 21, please. God who is sinless, Jesus who is sinless, was made sin for us. And sin kills, sin destroys, sin separates you. And that's who we are, all sinners, all unrighteous, no, not one. But Jesus, perfection, sinlessness, righteousness became sin for us. He became sin. Sin was hanging on the cross. Sin died on the cross. Punishment was taken care of on the cross. That he who knew no sin might be made sin for us, that you and I could be made known the righteousness of God. 
Well, how do, how do I get to be righteous? How do I avoid being separated from God by sin? How do I avoid death? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. What does that mean? People have always, what does it mean to call on him? Jesus, Jesus, uh, you can do that and chant it if you want to. But what he's saying is call on him, acknowledge 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he was the one. Perfection, sinlessness, righteousness, everything we're not. And he died. He was murdered. He was ripped to shreds, according to the scripture pointing to the gravity and the weight of sin and the destruction of sin. He became sin for us. You make him Lord of your life. You accept this gift of God, which is Jesus on a cross dying for your sin. You accept him as the payment, as the propitiation for your sin. You become his righteousness, reconciliation, exchanged his righteousness for my unrighteousness. The great exchange. Nothing like it's ever happened in the world and never ever will happen again. Where a holy, righteous God loved sinful humanity enough that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, that whosoever believes in him doesn't have to die without hope, doesn't perish, but have everlasting life. That's what happened when you got saved. That's what happened when you experienced, and I experienced regeneration. That's what happened when God reconciled me back to him through Jesus so that I can spend not just eternity, the rest of my life from here to there with him. We understand that. We understand what sin does. We understand what grace did. We want to share that message. And we've been given that message of reconciliation. Would you stand with me as we pray? The response is quite obvious. You ever experienced the reconciliation, the regeneration, new life. Have you ever been born again? I don't know, unless I took another hour, how I could explain any more clearly in, from Scripture why we must be born again. And if that's you and you're here today and you've never been saved, I pray that the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart of the greatest need you and I and the world ever has to be born again. This is gonna sound kind of off target, but if anything's plaguing America and our spirituality, unfortunately, I think it's the church and the routine of the church. So that has nothing to do with the sermon. No, but I think it has everything to do with where we're at right now in this service. We become so routine in church. We be, we've become so used to church. We can run through the motions. We show up, dress up, show up, sit up, stand up, and go home. Check it off our box. Well, we did it. God, are you pleased with me? God's got to be happy. Surely I'll get a raise this week. I went to church. And all the nonsense that goes with it. When the message is clear. And God's still God. He's still powerful. And the Holy Spirit's real. And we come to a part of a service like this where the gospel's been preached. God's in control. And we act like, well, time to go home. Now it is time to go home. We're going to go home shortly. But it's plaguing the American church to where people don't feel at ease to respond to the gospel. You can say, well, that sounds like an old grandpa, whatever you want to call it, I don't care. I'm right. 
church, we got to get to the place where we're calling on God and expecting him to do something for lost people. So you think there's lost people here today? Good chance. I think there'd be more if we'd invite them, but that's a different story for a different day. But may we never be a hindrance, church, believer, to a person responding to God. And if you're here today and you're lost, I believe the Holy Spirit's convicting you. You respond to him and you acknowledge and you say, I believe exactly what that crazy guy was just preaching straight from the word of God. And I believe it and I accept Christ as my savior who paid the price for my sins. I believe he'll save you. Church, I gotta preach to us for 30 seconds. Our ministry is reconciliation. That's our job. Are we doing it? Our message is reconciliation. Are we preaching it? Are we teaching it? Are we living it? I think we're doing a pretty good job in our ministries of doing it. But we've got to get outside the walls and understand we're ambassadors. All of us, we have to understand we're ambassadors and we've got a message. Ambassadors aren't just there to take Twitter pictures of them wearing a skirt. Ambassadors for Christ are to show up and give a message. Wherever we go, whatever we do, that's our job. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that's so clear. I pray your Holy Spirit convict us, convict lost people, their need for salvation. I pray for our church, pray for myself, for our staff, for leaders, volunteers, that would be moved with conviction and compassion to preach the message, to live the message, to share the message of hope, of new life in Christ. I pray you move in our congregation right now as we pray and as we sing that we would respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.